This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous times two since I forgot it in the last podcast, thinks that Jabari Parker is a better fit for LeBron James' teammate than Kevin Love ever was, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We have our fourth and final installment of our trade deadline primer for you guys. We're going to be looking at the projected Western Conference playoff teams. Again, this is just based off how the standings are as of right now. Uh, Kings and Lakers fans, we said this in the lottery preview for the Western Conference. Your teams are still very much in the postseason picture. Before we get started, though, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we see the ratings numbers go up. We love reading your reviews. If, if you can write those in too, trust me, Andy and I are monitoring those like vultures. So please throw those in there. And if you haven't subscribed, if this is the first time that you're listening to this podcast, uh, please do so. And if you've done all that already, we are continuing to ask that you recommend us to people. Shout us out on Twitter. Any way to help get the Hardwood Knoxes only kind of sort of bad brand out there. Um, but with that out of the way, we get to ask the question everyone's dying to know so close to the trade deadline. Andy, how are you doing? Doing good. Um, I guess my response on that is probably typical of a lot of people who follow the NBA closely. I think I'm going to be pretty tired by the time the deadline has come and gone. It seems like something crazy always happens in the middle of the night. So I'm just like waiting for that Woj bomb and then <laughs> checking my phone when I wake up to see if I missed a Woj bomb. Um, Are you one of those people like me? Who like gets up every few hours in the middle of the night, not because they like set their alarm, but I think my body is just waiting for something to happen this time of year. For like the past month, I feel like I've w- woken up like every ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes, and I'll check my phone to make sure that uh, nothing happened. It was, I mean, the Anthony Davis stuff when that trade request first broke is a perfect example. I had designs on sleeping in until eight a.m. that Monday morning. And I woke up a bunch of times in the middle of the night, and one of them was at like 7 a.m. my time instead of 8, and I saw the Woj bomb, and I was like, all right, I guess it's time to get to work. (laughs) Yeah, um, I woke up at 3. I don't know if it was because I was like anticipating something crazy today, but I did check my phone and saw that I missed the the tweet from Woj about the Pelicans wanting four first-rounders. Fortunately, I was able to fall back asleep between then and now. But, um, yeah, this is just such a crazy time of the year, and news can happen 
like seemingly whenever. Um, it doesn't matter what hour of the day. So it's going to be a crazy few days. And this year seems, um, <laughs> I feel like we say this every year, like this trade deadline's crazier than last year's. But it's um, always preceded by this trade line is this trade deadline is going to be boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um and this year, like even if even if nothing huge happens, all this lead up is just wild. Because this Anthony Davis sweepstakes, there's so many different angles to it. Um <laughs> so many different nuances. Like it's it's crazy all the different things that are gonna factor into where he ends up. Um and I think it'll probably still eventually be the Lakers by 2020. It just depends on whether or not they can get it done now or some other team can swoop in and steal him for a year and a half or a year or whatever it, whatever it ends up being. The I guess that's where we should start before we dive into the Western Conference playoff team since we're not going to be touching on the Pelicans or the Lakers in them. The latest, as you mentioned, um, Woj tweeted – and he went on SportsCenter, I believe, too, and said this, but it was at 1.02 a.m. Eastern time. Pels are waiting on the Lakers to overwhelm them with an historic haul of picks um, to New Orleans. That means Lakers offering four first-rounders and a couple second-round picks as part of a Davis package. Pels want to be compensated, perhaps even overcompensated, to consider a deal with L.A. now. And I think that's the just for the Pelicans' play, I can understand why this would be frustrating from Lakers fans. When we're looking at it from the outside perspective, if you compare it to what the Celtics could offer if they include Tatum or if the Knicks win the lottery and offer Zion, it does seem like a poo-poo platter of assets. But if you are a Lakers fan, like I actually I still like all of their young players. I don't think any of them are the best prospect in a deal right now if the Celtics are willing to include Jalen Brown. I'm not necessarily saying definitively the Celtics can beat a Lakers offer without Jason Tatum, especially if they're going to offer their entire team. But that's... That's what the problem is right now. And so I get being frustrated here as a Lakers fan. If you thought you were going to get Anthony Davis for like two young players and a pick, it wasn't happening. But I get at this juncture. But it's smart for New Orleans because they have Boston looming. They have the, the lottery winner looming. If it's the Knicks or, again, if it's the Bulls, what if the Cavaliers think that they can convince Davis to stay beside Kevin Love? I'm not saying like those options are out there. And then what if Toronto uh, gets Kawhi to, to come back and then they're all of a sudden willing to get crazy too? So it makes sense from the Pelicans' perspective, but now I understand the Lakers sort of being like, well, how are we supposed to give all this up? And before I kind of hand the talking stick to you on this, uh, Brad Turner of the Los Angeles Times also tweeted that update on the Lakers-Pelicans talks. Magic Johnson, Dell Demps talked twice today. Lakers are willing to give the Pelicans cap relief for Anthony Davis by taking on Solomon Hill in exchange for Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, uh, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, and two first-round picks. I will say that the Lakers taking on Solomon Hill is a pretty big deal. They plan to stretch him. I'm not. I think Brad Turner tweeted that out as well uh, for next season. I would have their cap at if they took Solomon Hill, and this to me would mean that they probably have intel they're not getting another star in free agency. Uh, LeBron, you have Luol Dang's dead money. Then you would have Solomon Hill's dead money. And then in terms of tangible players, aside from LeBron, you have Anthony Davis, uh, you would have Wagner, you would have Josh Hart, uh, and then what are you going to do with Bonga and Shfeet if you keep them? Let's just say they keep them, you replace uh, the empty roster spots with minimum cap holds, you're looking at about $23.9 million in cap space with a relatively effortless path to, uh, path to get in that 25 to $27 million range. 
but then your team is if you if you maxed out your cap space options, you, your team is Hart, James, and Anthony Davis, and then nine point three million dollars in dead money for Luel Deng and Solomon Hill. I don't know if they're looking at it as we'll use that twenty five to twenty seven million, go out and get a couple good players. Maybe they think that that would put them in play for a Kemba Walker. I don't think that a Kyrie Irving or a Kawhi Leonard or a Clay Thompson is taking a discount to come to the Lakers when they're that shallow. I would just, if they take on Solomon Hill, that to me would, would signal something. Yeah, I could totally see that. Even if they wound up with 24 million in cap space and um, say, instead of adding a third star or near star, they add like two or three solid players and then fill out the rest of the roster with minimums. I know the blueprint over the last few years has been three guys, and then suddenly the Warriors <laughs> kind of made it four. Um, but if your top two is Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I'm not sure you absolutely need three. Um, now LeBron's in his age 34 season, and and who like eventually it's got to he has to slow down. Um, I know he has seemed immortal for some time now, but eventually he's going to he's going to start to produce a little bit less than he has over the course of his career so maybe then you need to add the third guy in two or three years but i think in the immediate future if you can get those two as your top two i think you just do it and figure the rest out um along the way especially because if you get this wrapped up and taken care of now then you don't have to worry about a ton of the variables that i mentioned earlier uh, you don't have to worry about the Celtics getting involved this summer. You don't have to worry about the Celtics or some other team taking a flyer on him and then by some miracle selling him on that situation. I mean, they just went through that with Paul George. Um, I don't know if you want to tempt fate again, even if they are more confident that Davis is going to come than they were with George. Um, I, just, <laughs> I just don't think you want to test that fate again. I, I, if it was me, I know four first-round picks is a ton. Um, but it's probably, I, I think it's probably still worth it. If you look at their last six notable firsts, um, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle and Larry Nance are all gone already. And then Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball apparently aren't enough to get Anthony Davis. So even if you give up four first, the chances of any of those four, you know, eventual players turning into maybe the best big man of the last <laughs> 20 years is just extremely slim so i i think you get him on the roster as soon as you possibly can and then you just kind of figure everything else out after that i'm not i'm gonna say this and i've been pro lakers should give up whatever uh to the pelicans to get anthony davis now and they're not going to get him in 2020 because they can't punt on another season of lebron's prime and so i understand the value of getting him now i'm not giving up three of their four top prospects and four first round picks for anthony davis i just i don't think that's responsible team building. You're, the first three of those picks essentially have to be unprotected, which if you can demand, like, okay, in two, because you can't, since the last one would convey, I'm stuttering here, in 2025, you're, you're not going to be able to trade a pick beyond 2026 right now. So you're basically having the first three unprotected. I know you're expecting to be good, but 2019, 2021, fine. Now we're getting yeah. into a potential post-LeBron Lakers where you have picks being conveyed to New Orleans and you've already given up some of your other best trade assets while taking back money that you're going to stretch in Solomon Hill. I, 
look from the Pelicans' perspective, I get it, but I can't. If I'm the Lakers, I can't. If that's the starting point, fine. But the Turner offer, I think, right? Uh, that Brad Turner reported, excuse me, that has the Lakers giving them uh, uh, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Ingram, Rondo, Stevenson, Beasley, two first rounders for Davis and Solomon Hill. That's I think that's my absolute max right now. I, it maybe more seconds can be involved, but I'm just four first round picks is it just seems like reckless team building when LeBron is going to be in his age 35 season next year. I don't think they're going to get him until 2020 if they stick with that Brad Turner package, which is maybe fine, but then you don't get him until LeBron's in his going into his age 36 season. And to your point, then you don't get him because I don't think they're going to conserve their cap space until 2020. Yeah, and that's the other thing to think about. They'd, they'd have to keep rolling over like these one-year deals like they did with Stevenson and Rondo and, and Beasley year after year. So you're essentially punting on uh, multiple seasons of LeBron's prime. Um, what, what do you think are the chances that any of Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, or Lonzo Ball makes a couple all-star teams? Like how many – I'll put it this way. How many all-star appearances in their careers among those three players? I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, if Lonzo Ball ends up going to the East, you know, but, but I it's get hard. it, but it's – Yeah, you, go ahead. I, I just feel like there has to be – there has to be just – there has to be a point where the Lakers just I, – I understand that you consign yourself to some semblance of we have to go all in now because we have LeBron – but that is just so much of their own future. And it ha- like is Anthony Davis going to replace the value of four first round picks, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram? What is and th- that's the question you have what is a team with LeBron, Anthony Davis, Josh Hart and essentially minimums for the rest of this season going to win you? I mean, you're going to be you talked about this before we hopped on the podcast. They're going to be signing just all these randos if this deal goes down. Melo's yeah. coming to LA if that happens. Maybe they could get a DeAndre Jordan or Wes Matthews if they get bought out. I four first round picks is I don't know. I think it, you're setting yourself up for disaster when Anthony Davis is getting to a point where he's going to have to start going at it alone without LeBron James. And there's certainly a history of that. Um, the Brooklyn Nets got torched when they did a deal similar to that a few years ago, and they're just now starting to recover. So. It's certainly not something without risk, but I, I think I would do it. And I'm glad that we have a disagreement because I feel like we're always in lockstep on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not even sure I like it for the Pelicans because now you're just left with, on the flip side, all these odds and ends assets. You're making the point, what are the odds that one of those players That's true. turns into yeah. a great player? So then what are you doing to your rebuild by, oh, because we just got like so much stuff, we're going to accept this offer? If you're looking for a potential cornerstone and you don't see it in this deal – the unless they really look at the back end and say you know those 2023 2025 first rounders could end up being really good and the other thing they could tell themselves is now we now we have a, a big stockpile and we can put together two or three of these assets and move up in the draft or go go after somebody else true so maybe maybe you can pair like two of the firsts with Brandon Ingram in a couple of years and move closer to number 1 something like that i don't know um it just gives you a little bit more um, 
to throw around in future trades, I guess. I'm going to be honest. There are probably one to three teams that can justify giving up four first round picks with the way for a player with the way contracts are structured and how short they are. One of them is not the Lakers. I, I, I know they have LeBron. I won't. I, you can't you can't even talk me giving into four first round picks for Giannis Antetokounmpo at this point who has two guaranteed years left on his deal. It's just it's too risky with how short these contracts are. Well, that's the other thing that's unique about this situation though is it, I, I'm I would be like ninety eight percent sure that Davis is going to resign with the Lakers. Well, you know what? Then Anthony Davis needs better representation than LeBron James's uh, agency <laughs> as well. Not LeBron. I know what his Rich Paul. He needs better representation than Rich Paul. I'm not trying to say that LeBron is pulling all these strings. I'm not, if I'm Anthony Davis, I'm not looking at this post-trade Lakers roster and saying, "Wow, I'm going to be set up to consistently contend for a title." So let me yeah. commit the next four or five years of my career to this it's team. For sure, I just I guess we overestimate how much he wants to win, or underestimate how much the market means. I'm I'm not there. I get it. It's Anthony Davis, and you could defend it easily if you give up that much. Four first-round picks is absurd. Good for the Pelicans for asking for it, though. I'm here for it. I hope it gets done. Um, but we can we can leave that. Well, final prediction because this is I'm assuming this is the last time we record before the trade deadline, unless Davis actually gets traded before then. What what's the prediction? Um, man, this I'm actually like swayed by this most recent development, but I still think it probably drags into the summer. I'm just going to stick with my original prediction where I said the Lakers, the Celtics, or the field. Um, I think it's going to be the field and that it'll happen this summer. Obviously I feel like that's the only way the field is going to win. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's been such a wild, wild thing. Yes, it has, but we are on to other teams, playoff, playoff teams in the Western conference. We're going in reverse alphabetical order again. That'll start us with the Utah jazz. They are very clear buyers or sellers. They are very clearly buyers. They're untouchable players, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. You're the expert here, so do you disagree with any of that? No, that's that's all. Do you want me right to add up. Joe Ingles and Dante Exum to the untouchable players list? Um, for me personally, uh, of course. <laughs> Notable trade assets. Uh, you have Grayson Allen, Tony Bradley, Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, Kyle Korver, who has a $3.4 million partial guarantee for next season. Um, Neto, non-guaranteed salary for 2019-2020. Um, Niang, who's is he your boy or is he my boy? I can't forget who likes who likes. I him. love Niang. I wrote an article like a week or two into the season about how I thought he could be a steady rotation player at some point this season, and then he fell off a cliff. So he is he's both of our son. So <laughs> Royce O'Neal, notable inbound draft picks. They have all their own first rounders. They have San Antonio's twenty twenty two second round pick and Cleveland's twenty twenty four second round pick. That swap rights. Notable outbound draft picks, uh, they have a 2020 second-round pick to Cleveland. So their best salary-matching assets, Dante Exum, two years, $19.2 million left on his deal after this. Derek Favors has a $16.9 million non-guarantee for 2019-2020. Ricky Rubio is expiring at $15 million. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha is expiring at $5.3 million. And Udo is expiring at $3.4 million. They don't really, to me, have a toughest player to move, but if I had a pick, I think it would still be Dante Exum. I just think there are teams out there that won't necessarily view him as an asset at money that's more than the non-taxpayer's mid-level. Yeah, I think you phrased that uh, 
well because I don't think he'd be terribly hard to move. But if if you scan up and down Utah's roster, it's it's hard to find really anyone that would be more difficult than him. They don't they don't really have a bad contract on the books right now. So shout out to Dennis Lindsay. Most likely player to be traded. Who is it for you? Um, you've got Derek Favors here, and I think that's uh, I think that's right. He's been floated around the trade deadline for two or three years now. Um, one reporter who's close to him um, thinks that it might get done this year. I mean, it, we've basically thought the last two or three years that this is this is the time it finally happens. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, but I, I think he's probably going to get moved. It does increasingly seem like it could be Ricky Rubio just because of the Mike, the Mike Conley stuff. And in that scenario, unless you're giving up Exum, there's a chance that you have to give up both. But it, it does just, it almost feels like, I don't know, that Conley to the Jazz right now feels almost fait accompli, that it's just going to happen. Um, yeah, it's, uh, apparently it was really close a couple days ago. I think the thing that's maybe holding it up is Memphis. I think Utah's already offered a first-round pick, but it's going to be later, and Memphis is going to want more than that. They're hoping uh, Detroit comes in with like an unprotected first or something this year. And and <clears throat> eventually Utah may have to offer two firsts, but at that point I feel like they would need something more back from Memphis too. So there's there could be a little bit more give and take between now and you Thursday. You just wink-winked at Kyle Anderson as you said that. Yeah, I know you. That's right. Anybody who follows me on Twitter already knows that I've been <laughs> that for days. But if – if they wound up with a starting lineup of Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Kyle Anderson, and Rudy Gobert, um, I, th- I think that takes Utah to another level. It's possible. I think I'd probably want Kyle Anderson coming off the bench in that scenario just for spacing purposes. But And also, if you're giving up Rubio and Exum in that deal, you'd probably appreciate his playmaking off the bench as well. Yeah, it wouldn't. That wouldn't that, the deal that I was looking at wouldn't do Exum, though. It was Favors and Rubio. What did you have again? Favors and it was just Favors, Rubio, Allen. Um, I think it was two firsts for just Conley and Anderson. I think you had a second in there too, right? If I'm, I think that was the poll you I had. Think, I might have had a second in there too. It's interesting. Um, Exum can't be a deal breaker in that scenario, though. He shouldn't be, <laughs> but you have to remember who you're talking to here. Also fair. Exum is a deal breaker for everyone, including the Lakers can give up 12 first round picks for Anthony Davis, but the Jazz cannot give up Dante Exum in the same deal. Let's let's save my realism for other teams. (laughs) Um, Salary cap situation at a glance for Utah. They're more than $10 million under the luxury tax, which really helps them out in Conley trade situations or other situations for teams that are close to the tax, like the Grizzlies. What to watch for? Will they acquire a combo forward and or another shot creator? The trade that I outlined for them, I we've talked about it before, I think, and I'm not we talked about Conley so much now that I don't want to come up with a trade for him. I find it boring. It's probably likely, but I just find it boring. My trade is a three team. I think this one is brilliant, by the way. You still like it, even though you have all the Kyle Anderson, Mike Conley jazz stuff. You're still yeah, like honestly it. if it if it wound up um being this I I probably still like that more than the the trade that I just outlined. So this trade, Utah receives Jeremy Lin, Otto Porter, Thomas Sadoransky. Atlanta receives Jan Mahimi and Utah's 2019 first round pick with top five protection. 
Washington receives Derek Favors, Ricky Rubio, Tavo Cephalosha, and a 2019 second round pick via Utah. If for this trade, one of the things that stands out, if the Hawks want more for taking on Mahimi, I have no qualms about pulling the second round pick from Washington and giving it to Atlanta, whether they want the 2019 second rounder or a later second round pick doesn't matter to me. To me, Washington in this deal, if you get out from Jan Mahimi's contract and even Otto Porter's money without having to give up a pick of your own while getting back three players who can play for you right now and don't torpedo your playoff hopes in the Western Conference, I'm doing it. They've ducked the tax. They've, they're a little bit more flexible moving forward. I, I would do this without the pick if I'm Washington. And I know the owners come out and said, you know, Big Ted over there, we're not trading Beal, Porter, or John Wall. Trading John Wall is probably dumb because you, you probably have to include a sweetener at this point to get rid of him. I understand keeping Bradley Beal. I love Otto Porter Jr. You should be looking to move him. This team is not worth paying a tax for, and I think he's 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 easier to replace it's easier to replace most of what he does than it is to replace what Bradley Beal does by far. Yeah, I that's been the mandate um, from Washington seemingly is that they're not going to trade any of those guys. Um, but I'm I'm totally with you. They this deal would save them a ton of money. It would give them a lot of uh, flexibility. If they could move Wall, I think they should do that too. I I, I agree. The only real untouchable should be Bradley Beal. Um, and this, I don't think it's too, too far off the last demand that I heard, um, in terms of Utah going after Otto Porter. Hold on. Aggregators. And he's got some jazz news. (laughs) Um, so that's, this deal is super interesting to me. I think for Utah, it's a no brainer. Um, Otto Porter has not been as good as favors this season, but I think if you stretch it out to like a three year sample, that they're very comparable and Porter just fits better. Um, Here's my, here would be my argument for that too, is that when Rudy Gobert and Derek favors share the court, Utah is a plus, is a, is a plus one pro 100 possessions with an offensive rating that ranks in the 13th percentile. Kudos to them building a good defense around those two bigs and being a net plus overall. When you're playing with, two non-shooters. I don't think we can call favors a shooter at this point. When Jay Crowder and Rudy Gobert play together, the Jazz's offensive rating is in the 72nd percentile per cleaning the glass. Uh, Their defense is in the 89th percentile, and they have a plus eight net rating. Otto Porter replicates that model, the Jay Crowder, Rudy Gobert. It allows them to play a full 48 minutes that way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And Porter could even, like, you could talk yourself into thinking – that the Porter minutes are going to be an upgrade on what they've got with Jay Crowder. Um, so yeah, just logistically, it makes so much sense. And then Thomas Sadoransky, if you can add him to the deal too, that gives you another guy who kind of adds to the positionless basketball um, revolution that Utah is sort of half leaning into. I think him and Exum both can play like one through three. Um, so you've got a lot of positional flexibility. And then Jeremy Lin has quietly had a pretty solid season. With Atlanta, he's he's near 600 true shooting. Um, we've talked about this before on the pod, but he's drawing a lot of fouls. Um, offensively, he's just been real solid. And then for Atlanta, this is this is their stated goal basically since Travis Schlank got there. Um, we're going to take on bad money to get pe- uh, future assets, and that's exactly what this does. So I think this deal makes sense for all three teams. 
There's the, the Thomas Sadoransky one is probably tough for Washington. They were looking to extend him since he's not coming off his rookie scale and is going to be a restricted free agent. He can be extended. Um, I just What is his next contract going to look like? The fact that they were talking to him probably means that they think they can afford him. But if he's your sweetener to get off, what you're essentially doing is there's a part of Otto Porter that's a real asset. So you're using that part in Thomas Sadoransky to get off the rest of Otto Porter. So let's say one year of Otto Porter just because he's owed about – 50, close to $56 million over the next two years. So you're, you're, what you're doing is using Sedaransky to get off, let's just say half that, because we're going to say Otto Porter is a half asset, and Jan Mahimi. <laughs> is that, that's fine, especially when the return on your expiring contracts, you're getting at least two players who can play and help you continue your playoff push. And I still like top of Cephalosha when he's healthy. I just like the phrase half asset. Half-assed, half-asset. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, yes, let's move on to the Spurs. They'll be your team. Okay, buyers or sellers? We have them as buyers, um, or I should say, Dan has them as buyers. We. He's the, this is you've endorsed all of this, and we should probably have them as nothings if we want. But you did all the hard work. Um, untouchable players: Lamarcus Aldridge, Demar Derozan, Dejounte Murray, and Derek White. Um, I, I'm a little bit lower on the Spurs than I think. You are. Um, I'd, I'd probably be willing to trade Aldridge or Rosen. I just don't know if they could get much for him. I think just where they're at, they're not. I don't know who they're going to get for those guys. So those, these are the players that they would. I would assume. And knowing that they don't trade, I just would be surprised if any of these players were even remotely close to trade talks. Yeah. Notable trade assets: Marco Bellinelli, one year, five point nine million left. Uh, Davis Bertans, one year, seven million left. Bryn Forbes. Rudy Gay is expiring this season, ten point one million. He has an implicit no trade clause. Shemezi Metu, Jakub Pudel, and Lonnie Walker the fourth. Um, notable inbound draft picks. They have all their own firsts. Toronto's twenty nineteen first uh, with top twenty protection. Notable outbound picks. They have a twenty twenty two second round pick going to Utah. Best salary matching assets, Dante Cunningham is expiring at $2.5 million. Pau Gasol, one year, $16 million. Uh, only $6.7 million is guaranteed for next season. And then Patty Mills, two years, $25.7 million. Uh, the toughest player to move, Pau Gasol. That deal confuses me to this day. Most likely player to be traded, Quincy Pondexter. He's expiring at $1.5 million. And their salary cap situation at a glance, they're within $1.5 million of the luxury tax. Um, what to watch? Will they break character and make a midseason trade? If so, can they buy low on a wing? And uh, your trade idea accomplishes that. You have the Spurs getting Stanley Johnson and the Pistons getting Dante Cunningham, Quincy Pondexter, and the 2022nd. You're selling low on Johnson there, obviously, if you're Detroit, but I don't, he's not good. It's, I mean, he can give you some positional versatility at the defensive end. I don't know if losing him. I'd rather have a second round pick at this point. They don't have a 2020 second round pick. That's why I gave them that one. Maybe the Spurs are more open to giving up a pick just because they have, so far, they have three this year with their own their own first rounder, Toronto's first rounder, and their own 2019 second. Maybe they'd probably then prefer to give up the 2019 second, but I just, they were interested in Stanley Johnson a couple of years back. I think it was the summer of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, and I, their assistant general manager was part of the Detroit Pistons front office that drafted him as well. So I just don't – I don't know what the market is like for Johnson, but you're not – my guess is you're not getting more than 
than this. And if you do, it's because you were there's a team that was able to just take back a little bit more salary. This this keeps both squads out of the tax. I'm just not if you put Dante Cunningham into Stanley Johnson's minutes in Detroit, I'm not sure the Pistons are appreciably worse. And that's where I'm at. No, they're probably not. Um and I think I think I could reasonably see the Spurs still wanting to take a flyer on Stanley Johnson. Um you're right, he has not been good. <laughs> In the NBA, he's in year four, um, and his numbers are basically right in line with his career averages. He's shooting 38% from the field, 28% from three, averaging fewer than eight points. Um, and again, that's just it's pretty close to what he's done for the entire four years. But he's in just his age 22 season. Um, he's got sort of the prototypical small forward, power forward combo, forward body. Um, so that would be interesting. And maybe the Spurs think, We've we've redesigned some shots in the past. Maybe we can do it for Stanley Johnson and just sort of bank on his physical gifts. So this is a deal that that does make some sense to me. And they're not going to get they're not going to. I mean, maybe Johnson costs that little, but if if he becomes a restricted free agent and Detroit gives him that qualifying offer, the Spurs aren't going to have the money to outbid anyone or give a contract that I think scares away Detroit or potentially another suitor so that's the value of getting him now and you know he flashed some playmaking before the Blake Griffin trade and that's something that the Spurs can probably tap into with their second unit yeah I've always thought um and I think that Detroit even like experimented it with him being the lead playmaker kind of like Miami's doing with Justice Winslow right now so him as a, a playmaker has always been interesting to me um, I just want to note, we're going to move on to the Blazers. Sorry, that's, that's a spoiler. There's no use spending more time on the Spurs because they never do anything, which is why no. it's actually fun to come up with trades for them. That brings us to the Blazers. The note I want to make here is that we had to redo our trade because Rodney Hood was going to the Blazers in our initial preview. And where did Rodney Hood end up, Andy? Dan, you nailed that one. He went to the Blazers. Blazers are still buyers. I would say they're untouchable players relative to not pulling off a massive trade are Zach Collins, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, notable trade assets. You have Al Farouk Aminu is expiring at 7 million. Seth Curry expiring at 2.8 million. Rodney Hood's expiring at 3.5 million, but he cannot be, cannot be traded with another player. Jake Lehman, who's a restricted free agent this summer. Yosef Nurkic, three years and 36.9 million with a 4 million partial guarantee as of now in that final year. That contract is a real asset at this point. Um, and you have Anthony Simons, Caleb Swanigan, and Gary Trent Jr. Notable inbound draft picks, Portland has all their own first-rounders. Outbound draft picks, 2019 second-round pick to the Lakers or Orlando. 2020 second-round pick to Brooklyn. It's top 25 protected, but who knows how good the Blazers could be next season, so I included it in there. 2021 second-round pick to Cleveland. 2023 second-round pick to Cleveland. The best salary-matching assets, you have Maurice Harkless at one year, $11.5 million. Uh, Myers Leonard has another year and $11.3 million left on his deal. And that suddenly doesn't look like terrible money, by the way, Andy, for Myers Leonard. He's overpaid, but he's actually, they need him at the moment. He's perked up lately, yeah. Toughest player to move, Evan Turner. One year, $18.6 million left on his deal. Most likely player to be traded. Um, I had someone else, and I deleted him because he was moved in the Rodney Hood trade. I think it was Stauskas. I would say it's it's not Evan Turner because I don't I don't know that Portland now is going to be willing to include the sweeteners necessary to get him off. I think I would say Leonard. Just he's that like salary matching fodder that you kind of need, but you don't necessarily need, and you could justify getting rid of, and it probably shouldn't cost too much to get rid of him, would be my guess. 
Um, can you guess what his true shooting percentage is this season? I'm going to say 63. 6.82. I wasn't too far off considering there was a shot in the dark. He's been shooting very well. He's played 700 minutes this season, and he almost has a, a 70 true shooting percentage. That's insane. Would you then say it's Harkless instead of him? Uh, for most likely to be moved? Yeah. I, I think I could I could go with either one of those. Him, him playing so well might make him easier to trade, uh, Myers-Leonard. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of a toss-up for me. Salary cap situation at a glance, they're now almost $8 million of the luxury tax. What to watch? I initially had, could they potentially duck the tax? That's just not going to happen now, I don't think, because they've given up two seconds and you would really have to get off some serious money. Once you get into that seven, $8 million range, it's really, it's really hard. What yeah. to watch for then is can they acquire uh, more wing shooters who are capable of dribbling? Um, do they have a tax evading move in them, if possible? Uh, will they shed any of their less flattering contracts the new idea i have for them is the blazers received Dwayne deadman and torian prince who again per sham Sharania of the athletic is available uh the atlanta hawks receive myers leonard anthony simons a 2019 first round pick that's lottery protected the next two seasons and then turns into 2024 and 2025 seconds if not conveyed and a 2022 second round pick to your point what i will say on this deal uh, they might not need the 2022 second round pick just because as you noted, Myers Leonard is playing well. And if you can give him minutes beside John, John Collins, which I think you can, that might be something that just interests Atlanta. So I would still be willing to give up the 2022 second, but I know that everything coming out of Portland leading into the season was they're they're high on Simons. They also are reticent to trade first round picks as are a lot of teams, but they seem just over the past few years, more protective than most of their picks. I would love Torian Prince's fit, though, in Portland. And Dwayne Dedman, to me, is an upgrade over Myers Leonard as a big coming off the bench. Him and Zach Collins on the floor together, man. Yeah, and Ded- yeah, Dedman's better defensively. Um, that's for sure. And I think I, I like the fit with Torian Prince, too. Um, so this, this deal is, is certainly interesting to me, and I don't think – I'm pretty sure the Blazers are going to make the playoffs each of the next two seasons. So you talk yourself into, we're not actually giving up a first round pick. Those are just going to turn into seconds eventually. And at that point, it's really, um, I think it's really easy to talk yourself into this deal. What about for Atlanta though? For Atlanta, it makes total sense. Um, If, if Deadman and Prince aren't really a part of your future plans anyway, you might as well get some, some assets for them. And like you said, Myers Leonard could be interesting next to John Collins for the next year, or you know, if they give him his next contract for the next few years. Um, Anthony Simons is a guy that was intriguing to me before the draft. We haven't really gotten a chance to see him much at all this season, but he's another guy that maybe Atlanta thinks they can develop. I I, th- I like this deal for both sides. You ready to hop over to the Thunder? Oh, I am. Um... If I can scroll quicker, the Thunder buyers are sellers. They are buyers. Untouchable players: Stephen Adams, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. Um, I think I mostly agree with that. But the rumblings about like will Oklahoma City ever think about moving Westbrook are interesting to me. It's probably not right now. Um, it's probably something you look at closer to Paul George's 
next foray yeah. into free agency, right? That's that's true. Notable trade assets: Terrence Ferguson, uh, Jeremy Grant, two years, eighteen point seven million left. Nerlens Noel expiring at one point eight million. Hamadou Diallo, Diallo. Uh, notable inbound draft picks: none. Notable outbound draft picks: twenty nineteen second round pick to Charlotte, twenty twenty first round pick to Orlando, twenty twenty two first round pick to Atlanta. That is lottery protected. Um, best salary matching assets, Alex Abrinas, expiring at $5.4 million. He's also a restricted free agent this summer. Raymond Felton, expiring at $1.5 million. He has an implicit no-trade clause. Abdul Nader, non-guaranteed uh, salary for 2019-20. Patrick Patterson, $5.7 million player option for 2019-20. Andre Roberson, uh, he's still injured. And he's got one year and $10.7 million left on his deal next season. Toughest player to move, Dennis Schroeder, two years, $31 million left. Uh, most likely to be traded, Alex Abrines. Salary cap situation, more than $20 million over the repeater tax. Um, and what to watch, can they grab another shooter? Good for Oklahoma Here. City, by the way. Small market paying the repeater tax. <laughs> I know, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> your trade idea, you have the Thunder receiving Reggie Bullock, so there's your your shooter right there. And the Pistons receiving Hamadou Diallo, Raymond Felton, who has to consent to the trade, and a 2022nd round pick. Um, I'll let you take it away. I just, first of all, did you know that the Thunder have quietly uh, moved their way up to 15th in uh, three point shooting? 15th or 16th, right around there? 35% from three on the season now. I had no idea. They still need another shooter. And just, I, I like Diallo, but you have enough non shooting wing swingmen type players on your roster and Detroit needs a 2020 second round pick. If they're, I know they might be committed to making the playoffs, but what is Bullock, Bullock's next contract going to cost them? Uh, so yeah. if, if Detroit, I don't think you do this if you're chasing the playoffs, if you're Detroit, if you've now said, you know what, we're going to sell, then I would do this. I think that that's just, maybe there's a better offer and perhaps there is, but if it's, a, if it's an 11th hour thing, maybe there isn't. Yeah. Um, and he's Bullock slots in really well uh, for Oklahoma City right off the bat. And having his like, bird rights to them, if they don't care about continuing to pay the tax, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a valuable guy going forward. If he's just a catch and shoot guy playing off of Paul George and Russell Westbrook, he could get a ton of open threes um, on that team. So uh, this is uh, another very interesting trade. Well done. It's uh, also. The Thunder having the third best defense in non-garbage time for cleaning the glass without Andre Roberson is just—it's absurd. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't have an All NBA defender, and you're top three in defense. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, they're pretty straightforward. I don't think we need to spend any more time on them. If they're—they're they're probably hoping for something to happen on the buyout market, like a Wesley Matthews. That might be a name to monitor there. Though a lot of people think he'll just go to Houston or Philly, but I think the Thunder can offer enough playing time as well that they could potentially entice uh, someone like that. And maybe someone else becomes available in the shooting department off the buyout market. I'm not necessarily sure who, but that would be something for them to monitor. Yeah, for sure. We are on to the Los Angeles Clippers. They are buyers or sellers. I have them as buyers and could be sellers. I think they're going to try and make the playoffs. If they want two max slots this summer, or when you look at all their expiring contracts that we're about to get into, I would consider selling them off. I think they're, at this point, 
given how well Portland has played, they're probably not going to make the playoffs because I think the Lakers are going to get back in there. If LeBron goes down or isn't able to play in most of the games going forward, maybe. Especially if the Lakers get Anthony Davis, though, I think you pencil them in for the playoffs. And the Kings are looming. So I don't think the Clippers are going to outplay the Jazz, Spurs, Rockets, or Blazers. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one from that group to fall out, it would probably be the Clippers. Which is sad because they're fun. But they're untouchable players. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Tobias Harris. Although if they become sellers, they should probably look at moving Tobias Harris too with free agency on the horizon. Notable trade assets, Patrick Beverly expiring at $5 million. Danilo Gallinari has one year, $22.6 million left on his deal. Montrez Harrell has one year, $6 million left on his deal. Oban expiring at $7 million. Jerome Robinson, who is playing really well of late. Sindarius Thornwell, non-guaranteed salary for 2019-2020. Tyrone Wallace, who I think would be a sneaky good pickup for a team. Non-guaranteed salary for 2019-2020 and an implicit no-trade clause. Lou Williams, two years, $16 million left on his contract with a $1.5 million guarantee on his final year. His, the notable outbound, inbound draft picks, excuse me, they have the 2019 second-round pick from Cleveland, Houston, Orlando, or Portland. It is most likely going to be Portland's. Notable outbound draft picks, 2019 first to Boston is lottery protected this year and next, and then turns into a 2022 second, if not conveyed. And they owe a 2021 second-round pick to Charlotte. Their best salary-matching assets, Avery Bradley, has no value, but $2 million partial guarantee for, for next year. Marcin Gortat, uh, expiring at $13.6 million. Luke Bamute, expiring at $4.3 million. No idea what's going on with him. Could they shut him down for the season or something? I just, yeah, knows. Mike Scott, expiring at $4.3 million. Uh, Milos Teodosic, expiring at $6.3 million. You have early bird restricted free agency rights on him this summer, if that means something to a team. Toughest player to move, I would still say Bradley, because he doesn't help you now. And unless you're getting off bad money, which the Clippers aren't going to take, it's I, they're going to need to include a sweetener to get rid of him. Don't tell Doc Rivers. <laughs> Most likely player to be traded, I think it's Milos Teodosic. Their backcourt is just so crowded, and there's if Orlando doesn't end up selling, that everyone's talked about them as a team that that could just want him. Even Phoenix, like just see what he could do with Devin Booker at this point. You're not going to ruin your tank. Yeah. Salary cap situation within $4 million of the luxury tax. What to watch? Can they acquire someone on an expiring contract to bolster their playoff push? If not, is there a chance they shop Danilo Gallinari in exchange for cap space this summer? A trade that I thought was interesting uh, that I didn't list here was Robin Lopez for Avery Bradley and a second-round pick. You're getting a center, and they could use an upgraded center if they're looking to really make the playoffs. And... The, sal- the salaries end up matching perfectly when you factor in Bradley's 2018-19 salary and then the $2 million Chicago would give him to go away next year, assuming. Maybe there's a buyout broker there that, that saves the money off that. And so they're getting a second-round pick for their troubles. And again, maybe they buy out Bradley this season. That would be something if, just like kind of a small move, the actual deal I have for them is the Clippers receive Jerry and Grant, Terrence Ross, and Nikola Vucevic in exchange for Avery Bradley, Jerome Robinson, Milos Teodosic, Tyrone Wallace, who must consent to the trade, a 2019 uh, second-round pick, and a 2020 second-round pick. Um, you think Vuce is going to go for a second? For, well, here's my argument. Uh, Jerome Robinson is actually a first-round prospect. That's your pick, and he's playing well. Lately, Tyrone Wallace, Tyrone Wallace is still an interesting prospect to me, and you're probably only getting, you're not getting more than two seconds for Terrence Ross. 
And so if it's a matter of including another second, or if you need to expand the deal to include another player, I also think Teodosic is a team that even when Orlando is selling, just to have that extra uh, ball handler there when they don't have many people who can run point is valuable. I don't know what else they can expect to get Vooch on a, on a con- on an expiring contract when he is going to get big money this summer. And I, I know the whole market for big men. Zach Lowe pointed this out on his last podcast, though. Even when there's not a market for guys, if they're playing well, they get their money from their incumbent teams. And so that would be if you don't want to pay, if you're committed to Mobamba and you don't want to pay Vooch's next deal, I'm take I would take flyers on Robinson and Wallace. And some seconds. You you ideally want more, but I think this trade is within the the realm of defensible. Um, I know the analogy is callous, but if and I'm not the first one to make it, but just like cars driving off the lot, um, players lose or that you know a first round pick loses a lot of its luster once the pick has been made, um, and especially if he's played a little bit this season. I think there's just inherently value in ooh, we're getting a first-round pick, and we get to pick who that player is. Um, and Vucevic has been we, – we've talked about this a bunch this season, but he's just been ridiculous for the Magic this year, like a top 15 to 20 impact type guy, um, maybe even a little bit higher than that all season long. So I um, I guess that's why I was initially a, a little surprised that there wasn't a first-round pick in there, but your explanation makes sense. I mean – Would you it, include it, it first? It would have to be – 2021 if you're in los angeles well the other thing is i don't know if los angeles would be the team um to to give up a first for him uh i think that's incredibly fair that's so it's tough um and your your other explanation made sense too that he's he's about to enter free agency so you have to find a team that's <laughs> both willing to give up a first round pick and willing to spend a ton of money on him this summer so maybe it's a little bit tougher to find that team than I initially thought. He's just been so good this season. If um, it helps, because maybe the Magic still like Ross and they can get <clears throat> more value for him on his own in another deal, if you can sub in Jonathan Simmons to this trade and it works, it works as well. be better um, for Orlando, at least. Uh, <laughs> I would still do it if I'm the Clippers, to be honest. You only have to pay him $1 million, uh next summer if you, yeah. you want to waive him. And he's someone that I think you could trade into cap space pretty easily, more so than Bradley, who's owed basically double if you guarantee a salary. Um, and, I, yeah, and I guess the other benefit is you, you get out of the rest of Bradley's contract. And um, I, I can certainly see the reasoning on this one. It just uh, – Vucevic is a guy who's, whose future is very interesting to me. He's about to be 30 years old. I think he's in like his age 28 season or something. Um, this this season could be an outlier, but if he's this player for the next two or three years, then he's he's very, very interesting on a bunch of different teams. So he, he's a guy to watch over the next few years. If the Magic resign him, I don't think he's tradable under that next deal. I think it's going to be more – it could be more than $15 million a year, and I don't think that's something someone bites on long term. And so if you resign him, then I think – we already talked about the Magic, and I think we mentioned this. You move Mobamba. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention on the Clippers, and it includes the Jazz, so you should be thrilled. If they decide to sell as well, uh, Danilo Gallinari, if you yeah. move him in exchange for expiring contracts, you're looking at more than $50 million in cap room while you keep Tobias Harris's his cap hold. And so what you could then do there, there are other players that you can move to get to the, um, the, the 60-something 
million dollar range. Uh, if you can get rid of Avery Bradley's two million uh, partial guarantee somehow, if a team is willing to take him on, uh, you have Lou Williams. Someone's just going to take him for eight million dollars. Someone's just going to take Harrell for six million. Someone would take Jerome Robinson if you need to do that, and you would have first round pick cap holds and things of that nature. So they could have. If you move to Neil Gallinari, there's a path to not getting Kevin Durant, probably, unless you really max out your books. But you could get a, you know, in Kawhi, uh, Kyrie Irving territory and keep Tobias Harris, which I think makes you interesting. And again, if you really push it, you could get Durant and Kawhi and keep Tobias Harris. Yeah, I think if they're pretty confident that they're going to get somebody like that this summer, then they have to think about Gallinari deals. And Utah is a very interesting trade partner for that because... Um, they have about as much flexibility to offer as any team in the market right now. They, they, the way they've set themselves up, um, for this trade in, in, in 2020 was really smart. Uh, and they're not a team. Uh, <laughs> the reality for teams like Utah is you're, you're just not an attraction for big name free agents. So you can use the flexibility that you've acquired to go out and make a trade. Um, and Gallo would be really interesting next to Gobert. I know he's had the health problems for a big chunk of his career, but when he's healthy, he's like he is tailor made to play next to Rudy Gobert. So that one's that one's very interesting to me. He's missed basically the last ten games with a back injury. Is the it's um, scary, and that would be the justification to move him now because the, with with how well he's played, I think that you could argue most of the trades with the final year of his deal will still be there in the summer. So don't trade him unless you know you need the cap space. But because of his injury history, maybe you sell him now. And the deal I had teed up would be uh, Gallo, Teodosic, and Thornwell to Utah for favors, Rubio, Neto, and this year's first rounder. I'm in. That would be would... interesting. If you think Gallo's going to – if you have the, the vitals on him or you know the medicals and you think he's going to be fine and his back injury is – I think he's he's had back problems before though. Yeah, I would protect the pick. It would still be lottery protection, maybe top 16, top 18 protection. But if I'm the Clippers and, and you don't want a chance this summer having to move him and including a sweetener, I would like that deal for both sides. Yeah, I would do that too. Are you ready to move on to our next team, which would be the Houston Rockets? Yep. Um, the Houston Rockets are buyers. Their untouchable players are Clint Capella, Gary Clark, who has a trade restriction, uh, Kenneth Reed, who has a trade restriction, James Harden, and Austin Rivers, who has a trade restriction. Um, notable trade assets, James Ennis, $1.8 million player option for 2019-20. Gerald Green is expiring this season, $1.5 million, but he has an implicit no trade clause. Isaiah Hartenstein, he has a non-guaranteed salary for 2019-20. P.J. Tucker, two years, $16.3 million, um, $2.6 million of which is guaranteed in 2020-21. Notable inbound draft picks, they have all their own firsts. Notable outbound draft picks, 2019 second to Cleveland, New York, Orlando, or Portland, uh, likely New York. 2020 second round pick to Dallas. Houston received the less favorable of its own in Golden State's pick. Best salary matching assets, Marquise Chris, he's expiring at $3.2 million and he's made a trade request. <laughs> Eric, um, one year, $14 million left. Brandon Knight, one year, $15.6 million. And Nene, $3.8 million player option for 2019-20. Toughest player to move, Chris Paul. Um, <laughs> you can't blame this one on me. We were we. This was a joint oh, decision. 
I know, and I, I, I still think this is probably the right answer. Um, I don't know if the Lakers miss out on Anthony Davis. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, I, I never thought about that, but that's yeah, that's that's interesting. Three years, one hundred and twenty-four million dollars. He'll be in his age thirty-seven season for the last one. Um, double check that for me. Maybe I'll do it real quick. No, you're you're correct. Yeah, um, wild. Yeah, a lot of money. Uh, most likely player to be traded, Brandon Knight. Uh, I think that's uh, that's probably fair. Salary cap situation at a glance, more than seven million over the tax right now. And what to watch for? Does a Brandon Knight plus a first round pick framework get them an impact wing? The trade is Houston receiving Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple. Um, Memphis getting Brandon Knight, a 2019 first round pick um, with lottery protection in 2019 and 2020. Uh, it turns into two second rounders if it's not conveyed. That was ba- Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle said that Houston has been talking to Memphis about taking on Brandon Knight's deal. I think for a while it seemed like a foregone conclusion that. Kent Bazemore would be the guy. It'd be Brandon Knight and a pick for Kent Bazemore. I don't know if I really like Kent Bazemore. I'm not giving up a first-round pick in that deal. I know Brandon Knight's essentially dead money, but Bazemore costs you more next season. I'm giving up a first-round pick to get, if if possible, expiring salaries that, that help me now. And if you think you can get a Wes Matthews on the buyout market or maybe a Justin Holiday if he gets bought out by Memphis this season – I would prefer something like this structure. And you're getting two. Two for one is just better because Jermichael Green, you could play him and P.J. Tucker together in certain lineups, yeah. particularly while Clint Capella's injured. And he's also a big that probably won't get played off the floor in a potential Warriors series. He is more likely to stick on the floor than Kenneth Reed. That's for sure. Definitely Nene. And maybe, maybe even Clint Capella, depending on what using him at the five does to your rim protection. Yeah, I think both of those guys could help Houston right now. And um, they, they are certainly players that Memphis should be thinking about moving. If, if they're if they're going to trade Mike Conley and Marc Gasol, really the only person who makes sense um, as an untouchable for them is Jaron Jackson. And I think that's how we listed it when we talked about them. So everybody should be available from Memphis. And if they can get a first-round pick for those two guys, I, I think that's something they should probably jump on. Again, maybe Brandon Knight's that good semi-tank commander if he's healthy next season, like a Reggie Jackson type. Not the same player, but I'm saying could put up numbers on a bad team like he did in Phoenix and even Milwaukee. There's really nothing else to say about the Rockets. Do you think we're not even trying to blow through them? It's just it's just it's their situation is so simple in its complexities because you know what they need and, and their limitations. Do you think they ultimately end up making a move? Um, Memphis or sorry. Um, Are they trading or let's say trade deadline 3 p.m. comes to pass. Has Houston traded its 2019 first round pick? I don't I don't know about that, but I do think they'll make a move. Uh, They're one of the only teams in the NBA where you can like (laughs) you can feel more confident that they will make a trade than they will. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you if I I'm not going to hedge like you did. I'm going to say they trade their first round pick. And I would not be shocked. That brings us to the reigning champion Golden State Warriors, who are pretty they're even they're simpler than the, the Rockets. Buyers or sellers, buyers, untouchable players, Demarcus Cousins, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant has a thirty one point five million dollar player option for 2019-2020 and an implicit no trade clause. 
Draymond Green, Andre Godala, Clay Thompson. Notable trade assets in Steve Kerr's doghouse forever and ever and ever. Jordan Bell, early bird, restricted free agent this summer. Quinn Cook, Jacob Evans, Kevon Looney, having a hell of a year. Implicit no trade clause this season. Um, Alfonso McKinney. Notable inbound draft picks, all their own first rounders. Outbound draft picks, 2020 second round pick to Dallas or Houston. Best salary matching assets, Sean Livingston. Probably might be close to untouchable just because of what he's meant to them. But he has a $2 million guarantee for next season. I wouldn't be surprised if should they keep him this year that they don't have him on the roster next year. Yeah. Toughest player to move. I would say Andre Godala has one year $17.2 million left on his. He's not immovable, but that money isn't great. Mm-mm. Most likely to be traded, with the caveat, I don't think Golden State's going to, going to trade anybody. I would say Jordan Bell. If you don't want to, I know you're not going to have Boogie Cousins next year, but he's due for another contract, and Kavon Looney might actually be cheaper for you, and he's been better. And if you can sell high or turn Jordan Bell into something, I, I would think it would be him. Salary yeah. cap situation, I was waiting for you to give some input there. <laughs> uh, I think that's fair. That was going to be my input. Fair enough. Salary cap situation at a glance, more than $20 million over the luxury tax. What to watch? Will they make a move at all? My my answer is going to be no. Here's my trade idea, which is kind of out there. If you gave Dallas Jordan Bell, Quinn Cook, a, your 2019 first and a 2021 second for Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba, you are getting two players with low free agent holds this summer, which is valuable whether or not Kevin Durant leaves. And for Dallas, this trade looked a lot better before they acquired Kristaps Porzingis, but maybe they think Bell and KP can play together. If you can adjust it, because Dallas doesn't want to give up both these guys, to where you can even get one of Finney Smith and Maxi Kleba, and I'm Golden State, I'm willing to give up a f- not Jordan Bell and a first for one of them. I would give up Jordan Bell or a first for one of them. I I kind of like this trade. Um, it's... Uh, I think I would probably lean towards nothing happens at all, just like you said. Oh, but it's not for, going to. They're going to sign a center on the buyout market. That's just what's going to happen, and maybe a shooter. For Dallas, you get Jordan Bell, who's three years younger than Kleba and and does a lot of similar things. Um, kind of an undersized rim protector, can move the ball a little bit. That I know there were some whispers last season that Jordan Bell is like the next Draymond Green, um, and that could be a really interesting power forward next to center. Chris Tapps Porzingis um, and Finney Smith and, and Kleba have been really good this year. I mean, they're the reason or not the reason, but they're, they're a big reason that Dallas's reserve and, and bench units have been so good all year long. So golden state, who's been a team that struggled with depth for the last couple seasons um, could certainly use some of it. And with how little Jordan Bell's playing um, these, these guys could help golden state's depth. I think you could talk yourself into this trade for either side. The one thing I will say is that, I know it's the Warriors and that their first round pick is valuable, but I th- I think if they wanted to, Kleba or Finney Smith, I'm not saying both would be gettable. Just because you look at Dallas's cap situation now is weird, and you have Porzingis, I don't, and they haven't really played Kleba a lot to begin with. I would think that you could get one of them. Um, yeah, I I, th- I think they're probably gettable. I know Dallas likes. Both of those guys, I don't think either one of them's untouchable, and especially with Kleba coming up on free agency and being 27 years old already. Um, so they're certainly, I think Dallas would certainly listen to offers. 
Are you ready to hop over to our last team to finish the trade deadline primers? Let's do it. The Denver Nuggets. Buyers. Uh, untouchable players, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Um, notable trade assets, Malik Beasley, Tory Craig, Gary Harris, three years and $57.5 million left. On his deal, excuse me. Juan Hernan Gomez, Trey Lyles, who's a restricted free agent this summer. Paul Millsap has a $30 million team option for next season. Monty Morris, Michael Porter Jr., who has not played yet. And Jared Vanderbilt, who has barely played. Um, notable inbound draft picks. Washington's 2019 second-round pick, which is protected for numbers 56 to 60. Um, that matters because Denver's good. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Notable outbound draft picks, the 2019 first-round pick to Brooklyn, uh, top 12 protection, 2020 second-round pick to Brooklyn, 2021 second-round pick to Philadelphia, 2022 second-round pick to Minnesota or Philadelphia. Best salary-matching assets, Will Barton, three years, $41.2 million left. Mason Plumley one year, $14 million left. Um, toughest player to move, Will Barton. I think that's probably true. Most likely to be traded, Trey Lyles. Salary cap situation at a glance, they are within $7 million of, a, of the luxury tax. And what to watch for, do they have an expendable, or do they have the expendable assets to add a shooter? Um, the deal here is Denver receiving Dorian Finney-Smith and J.J. Barea, who is done for the year. Um, Dallas receives Juan Hernan Gomez, Trey Lyles, and a 2019 second-round pick. Uh, more favorable from Charlotte or Washington. Any thoughts on that trade there, Andy? Well, I've usually thrown them to you first. Um, I don't know why Denver would do this one. I don't think Dorian Finney-Smith I, – I really like Juan Hernan Gomez, and I like his fit long-term as the four next to Nikola Jokic. Um, I, I don't mind getting off Trey Lyles. Uh, his, he's had an interesting career. It seems like every other year he's promising, and then <laughs> in the years he's not promising, he looks terrible. But – um, I guess, yeah, this, this is the first one where I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit. I, I think I would just rather have Juan Hernan Gomez than Dorian Finney-Smith, what it comes down to. I think that's fair. I just think they probably need another consistent perimeter defender, and I don't know that they've played Juan Hernan Gomez enough to to consider him an asset. They they haven't played him enough. I, I would agree with you there. <laughs> So that that would just be just something. And he's, you know, first of all, Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting 36.8% on catch-and-shoot threes, which is enough to me to say that he's going to fit the 3 and D type mold that you really don't have on this team. You have a lot of guys who do sort of one or the other. Gary Harris, obviously, is there. He would just be an interesting flyer to me. The other thing is they have the trade exceptions if Miami's just looking to get under the tax to go out there and, off and, and get Wayne Ellington. Throw them a future second in 2023. Yeah. Um, and I will say I did read the pick obligations wrong. They do not really have a second-round pick to give this year. So any second-round pick in a deal would be in 2023. So that is my my mea culpa there. Would the deal look better to you if they're trading Tyler Lydon instead of Trey Lyles? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think I'd still just want to... Denver's in an interesting situation because I think they're two or three players deep at almost every position. The Malik um, Beasley, Torrey Craig, and, and Monte Morris uh, performances have given them enviable death. Yeah. 
So if, I think if they make a trade, it'll be something like we're gonna we're gonna pair two or three or four of these guys that have outperformed expectations and get a real impact type player. Um, otherwise, I my guess is that they're just gonna stand pat at this deadline. And I again, I maybe I'm just higher on Juan Hernan Gomez than you are. I I think long term he's really interesting at the four next to Nikola Jokic. Um, I guess if you're not confident in, in Millsap being around either into next season or beyond next season, that's something to consider. He's a restricted free agent next year too, Hernan Gomez. That's, and that, yeah, that's part of the calculus too, that maybe I'm not uh, considering enough. But I, one thing I loved about Denver when Jokic was first breaking out is the Gallinari Jokic front court. It was, it gave up tons of points defensively, um, which was predictable, but it was just so dynamic offensively when you pair Jokic next to a, a four who can truly stretch the floor. I think Paul Millsap kind of stretches the floor for them, and he's obviously better defensively than Gallo or, or Hernan Gomez. Um, but I think their their ultimate potential is met um, with Jokic at the five and a, and a true floor spacer at the four. So maybe that's why I'm still kind of in on Hernan Gomez. I'm not totally out on his defensive potential uh, if I had to guess, Denver's roster is going to look pretty much the same before and after the deadline. Yeah, I would probably agree with you there. They could, what they could do, and maybe you'd like this more because of the jokic Kleba pairing, they could try and go the Warriors route and get both that we came up with, Finney-Smith and Kleba, for Tyler Lydon, Hernan Gomez, and a 2021 protected first. That I would be, I would definitely be a little bit more agreeable to that. Kleba's not shooting as well from three as I thought he was. He's only at 33.6%. Um, but he's quietly one of the better rim protectors in yeah. the NBA, which is interesting. Um, and so, I, and I think he's a little bit more defensively versatile than Jokic. That's, that's probably not a, a crazy thing to say. Um, there aren't many players who aren't more defensively versatile than Jokic. So that, that definitely makes it more interesting to me if you can figure out a way to put Kleba in there. That is, uh, I think that's that's all we have. Yeah. Other than that, we've now uh, we've now done those breakdowns for all thirty teams in the NBA. Shout out to Dan Favelli um, for preparing all that and making it super easy for me. Uh, if you want to talk about any of our trade deadline um, discussions, takes, fake trades, whatever, find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you've already done that, to share it with your friends and family. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate that. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Udry, to Kyle Anderson, and to the four first-round picks that will soon be in the hands of the Orleans Pelicans. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.